Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. ACF Church, we're so glad to be with you today. My name is Brian, and I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I just want you to breathe for just a second. I know there's been so much going on in your life and in mine that hopefully for the next maybe 20, 30 minutes, you can actually focus in on on God's Word, on what's uh, going on in your soul. Um, Maybe you don't even know how you're doing right now when you think about it. Like, how is my soul right now? That's a hard question to answer. And so I just want you to slow down for a minute. And I actually want to encourage you to stay engaged with the message. Uh, I know it's going to be really easy maybe to click back over to Netflix or, you know, to a Christmas movie. Or if you're one of those Hallmark movie girls, you know, uh, just just stick with us for a few minutes. Because I really believe uh, that God wants to speak to you today through the message message that uh, he's put on my heart this week. Uh, We are in a series called Adore. As we walk into this Christmas season, we wanted to talk about worship, and and that's really what it means to adore something. It means to worship something. And last week, I made the point that everybody worships. The Christian that goes to church every single week worships. The atheist that wants nothing to do with Christianity, they worship as well. We all worship. The question is, what do you worship? And is it worthy of your worship? And so this week, taking one step forward, here's kind of my thesis statement for the week. And it's this, that what we worship will determine the level of our hopefulness. And I wonder for you, have you felt hopeful lately? Uh, has the season of the election kind of robbed your hope? Or, or maybe COVID-19 or some uh, concerns about work or finances or even just the unknowns of 2021. They say there's a vaccine. Maybe you're not even sure if you want to take it or if it's going to be available. All of these things start to kind of rob hope from us. And ultimately, what we worship will determine the level of our hopefulness. Would you say that you are hopeful today? Would you say that people see you as a hopeful person? Or would you say in general, you've walked through most of the last uh, weeks or months, maybe even years, lacking hope in your life? And I've entitled this week's message, Wandering into Hope. Wandering into Hope. 
So I wonder, hey, can you think of a time in your life where you felt like you were wandering? Just sort of aimlessly walking around lost. I know as a hiker and a hunter, uh, someone who goes backpacking, that there have been times where I've been wandering around, kind of off course and not really known where I was going. And that can be a really disconcerting feeling, can it? Uh, I can think of times in my life where I felt like I was wandering. When I graduated high school, I would literally sneak back to the high school, find a reason to be there, and walk through the halls just to feel some sense of normalcy because I was in this new season of life and I was wandering around and what felt familiar was these, these halls of my old high school. I felt like I was wandering around. Maybe you've been wandering in the woods before, sort of lost in that. Uh, In Exodus, the book of Exodus, we read about God's people going through a season of wandering in the wilderness. And so if you're a Christian, you have a heritage of people who have been a wandering people without a sense of hope. What does it mean to wander? Well, it simply means to move about without a clear direction or to go Astray. Would you say that describes your life lately? I'm moving around without a clear direction. Many of us have felt like we're wandering because when we make plans, they get ruined every time. You know, every time I make a plan, cast a vision, have a, have a focus for a season, it gets changed by someone or something. And so it causes us to feel directionless. It causes us to feel like we've gone off the path and maybe away from the things that we used to value or used to see as important in our lives. We live in a culture that that wanders, a culture that moves from relationship to relationship, home to home, product to product, job to job, or even church to church looking for hope in the wandering. Is that you today? I think of the hymn that I grew up singing that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Maybe you have wandered away from your faith. And for whatever reason, you're watching this online or with an ACF outpost, and you can just hear God saying, come home, come home, come back to hope. You know, Christmas is about something completely other than wandering, right? It's a completely different perspective on the world that we get from the arrival of Jesus. It's not about wandering. It's about something called wonder, And wonder is simply this, it's excitement and amazement far beyond anything previously known or anticipated. Now that's a way to live, right? Don't you want some of that in your life? Instead of aimlessly walking through your existence, we wonder with excitement and joy and amazement uh, far beyond anything we could have previously understood or comprehended. This is what it means to wonder. We had some friends over for dinner last night and we were talking about uh, some of the things we do in our, our, our free time. And one of my friends, he's a, he's a backpacker, he's a hiker, and he's the kind of guy that when he sees a man, mountain, he wonders what's on the other side of it. And so he will literally hike miles and miles and miles to get to the other side of the mountain just to see what it looks like. I, for the most part, I just told him, like, I think that's what Google Earth is for. That's why um, we have that, is so you can look on the other side of the mountain. He thinks, I need to actually walk up the mountain filled with wonder because I want to see what's on the other side. What does it mean to wonder in this time that we find ourselves in? To have expectation for the next year? To actually think that there's something better to come? I would say for most people, we think, man, it's just going to get worse and worse. But there's a certain population, there's certain people in your life, and they're just filled with wonder right now. And maybe you're like, I don't know how anybody could wonder in a time 
of wandering, and yet it's possible. And don't you kind of want that? Isn't there part of you that wants to wonder more about life and have some expectation about life? I'll tell you this. If you realize you've been wandering right now, Christmas kind of makes it difficult. Christmas often makes our wandering feel worse, doesn't it? We notice that we're wandering around the Christmas season more than ever. If you've been wandering in your finances and you come to Christmas season and you got to buy some presents, you're like, okay, I don't have a plan for this. How are we going to make this happen? If you've been wandering in your relationships lately, going from relationship to relationship, the Christmas season kind of highlights our wandering, right? And once again, if you have just in life in general not had a plan for the future and just felt like, man, everything's been kind of robbed from me this year and so I don't really know where I'm going. It just becomes more clear than ever and and, and honestly more discouraging than ever around the Christmas season that we are a wandering people. Well, the Christmas season and this whole story of Christmas is really God's way of saying there is something for every human being to look forward to. There's actually a vision and a movement that's going on here that was initiated by the arrival of Jesus. And, And you can choose to be a part of it or you can choose to reject it, but it's happening. There's something that cannot be stopped by, by what's going on around us. That can't be stopped by the political uh, environment or, or, or by a pandemic. There's something that can't be stopped and it's called the kingdom of God. And we see Jesus' arrival is the beginning of this movement of the kingdom in the world. And when he arrives, he arrives into one of the most hopeless moments in human history. In 700 years prior to this moment, the prophet Isaiah says this. He says, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Come on, that's exciting, right? He's speaking about this Messiah that would, that would come and, and, and the government would be on his shoulder. He's writing to an oppressed people. And this idea that there's this higher authority and this higher power that the Messiah would bring to earth is an incredibly hope-filled belief. Do you believe that today, that the government is actually on the shoulders of Jesus? He doesn't stand on the government. The government actually is resting upon him and his power and his authority. We believe that today. He He uses the word wonderful, which simply means full of wonder. That's what the word means, is that we're full of unimaginable wonder. He talks about being a counselor, that the Messiah would be a counselor, giving, giving wisdom to the wanderers. And so there's, there's this child that would come, and he would, he would become a king who would give the kind of wisdom that blows your mind with wonder. That's something to get excited about. And I wonder for you when, you, when you read this prophecy about Jesus, the Christ child who would come, do you think, man, I'm just so excited about that? I mean, I couldn't be more excited that, that Jesus is here and I want to celebrate that. And, and I'm just filled with wonder and excitement and anticipation for 2021 and what's going to happen. Or are you just kind of like, I've heard it. Because if you feel that way, I just want to be honest and say, I relate to you. Like, you're not alone in that. So as a pastor, uh, there's two sermons that every pastor struggles to preach every single year. And it's, it's Easter and it's Christmas. 
Because everybody knows the punchline, right? Everybody knows the story. And so you just find yourself trying to find out, you know, creative ways to, to share the story of Jesus is like from the perspective of the donkey or something like that. Like whatever we can do to try to make it seem exciting. And, and, and the question is, why do we do that, right? Like, like isn't the story powerful in and of itself? Have you sort of lost your wonder? Is your mind blown by the story of Christmas. Well, you know, every year, this is Christmas movie time of year. And so, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but back before we had like Netflix and, and Amazon Prime and all of these different uh, online ways of viewing TV, we had, we had just network TV. And I remember back in the day, every single year coming into the Christmas season, we would have 24 hours of the Christmas story. Now, I'm going to get some hate mail for this. I'll be honest. And, and so I'm okay with that. Um, you can email me at brian at idontcare.com and I'll get that and get right back to you. But uh, the Christmas story. So some of you love this movie. You, you watch it every year over and over again. And so TBS would always play this for 24 hours straight. And I'm just going to be honest with you. If I never have to watch this movie again for the rest of my life, it'll be way too soon. I've watched it. I know the punchlines. I've heard it. I don't get excited about it anymore. Don't hate me. So that's just the reality of it. But I wonder for you, with the real Christmas story, do you sort of feel the same way? Are you like, man, I I know the punchline, but it's not personal. I want to tell you, I think that's the key. We can watch a silly movie or hear the story of the Christ child who was actually born to save you and me from our sins, who would come and die on a cross for us, would be resurrected on the third day to show us that we can have victory over sin and death. And we can hear that story and be like, meh, I don't know. And the reason that we do that is because it's, it's not personal anymore. We're not taking it personally. We're not letting it into our souls and our lives. We've got a lack of wonder and for you, think about this. What does this lack of wonder do to the world around us? I mean, certainly it, it takes away our own sense of hope. But, but what does it do to our children? How is it affecting our community and our coworkers? We're like, man, we follow Jesus and yet we have no hope for 2021. We have no sense that there's something better coming. What does this say about the story of Jesus? The story of Christmas. I love this quote by Michael Iaconelli. He says this, The greatest threat to Christianity may be people who say they believe in Jesus but are no longer astonished and amazed by what he's done for them. What if you and I, as we walk through life without a sense of wonder, putting our hope in all kinds of other things that will never truly give us hope, what if we are the biggest threat to the spread of the gospel in the world around us? And what if our hearts could be transformed in such a way that we could also be the greatest asset that Jesus has on earth to spread the good news of the kingdom as we are filled with joy and hope and wonder despite what's going on around us? You see, we've lost wonder because we've lost hope. We've forgotten what it means to dream for better things in the future, and we've lost hope because we've lost the storyline of Jesus, and it no longer amazes us. And here's the deal. When Jesus doesn't amaze us, 
We'll find something that does, but it never really lasts. When you've lost a sense of wonder and Jesus doesn't amaze you anymore, you will seek something out to amaze you. And, and, and you've done this before and you've found yourself looking for something and it will entertain you temporarily, give you a sense of excitement and, and you're looking forward to it temporarily, but, but it never really lasts, does it? See, once again, everybody worships. Everybody puts their hope in something. And ultimately, what it is that you worship determines the level of your hopefulness. What you worship determines the level of your hopefulness. So I think it starts with this. Let's just admit that, that many of us have lost hope. Can we start by saying we haven't been a hopeful people the way that maybe God has, has called us to or, or, or if we understood and believed the story of Jesus for, for what it truly is, we would live with more hope, but our lack of hope is an indictment upon our souls and our beliefs that, that we really don't believe the things that we say we believe and we've lost a sense of hope. I think it starts by admitting that and I'll tell you what, the church, because of the environments that we create, can often be the last place that people want to admit that they've lost hope. And I think this is a tragedy because church, listen, if you're in an outpost or, or wherever you're at right now, listen, if you have lost hope, the church is, it should be the first place that you go to get around people who, who have also been so hopeless that we have found ourselves reaching out for Jesus. And so the church should be the first place that we admit that we have lost a sense of hope. And it gets bad for some of us. And um, some of you, it's not just, I'm discouraged, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit. For, for some of you, you have lost complete hope. And I want to talk for a minute about that total hopelessness that many people find themselves in. You know, uh, the word suicide is not a word that people bring up much in the church. It's not something we want to talk about a lot at all. But I will tell you, living in the state of Alaska, we are third in the United States for the most suicides in a year. We are third, which means the risk is incredible that people in this state are losing hope at an alarming rate. And so for us as Christians, if you're a believer in Jesus, maybe you haven't lost hope and you're like, man, I'm doing really good, Brian. You need to acknowledge and be honest and know the statistics about what's going on in the world around you so that you can help be an agent of hope to people. Here's a few statistics right now. In 2020, 48,344 people died so far by suicide in the United States in the years not even over yet. That's incredible. That's 132 people a day. Just let that sink in. By the end of this sermon, by the end of this sermon, we'll see 13 people, 12 people who have completely lost hope. Now that's, that's shocking and difficult for us to even acknowledge, but this is even harder to consider that I just saw this this week, that 1.4 million Americans have attempted suicide this year. So we, we talk maybe uh, about the statistic of the people who have been successful in, in taking their own life, but 1.4 million people in the United States have lost all hope 
to the point that they would try to take their own lives. And this, once again, for us, if we're the church, for the people who carry the hope of Jesus, this has got to break our hearts. This has got to cause us to, to well up with compassion. That when I see this number, I'm like, can we find them? Can we find a way to get them to identify themselves? Can we do something, anything about this? Many times uh, this comes from somewhere. Uh, mental health is something we don't talk a lot about in the church. Again, there's a weird stigma around it. But I would say this. If, if your leg was broke, you would treat it. You'd get some help. I think your mind is the same way. If your mind is not working the way it should, you should get some help. But currently, here's the statistic. 18% of people have been diagnosed with a mental health issue. 18%. It's a lot of people who are struggling in their minds right now. And this one blew, my, blew me away. This was the hardest to read. And it's that suicide is currently the number one cause of death for adolescents in the state of Alaska. Of all the things that are taking the lives of our teenagers or that are, that are taking something from them right now, suicide is the worst. And so all of this, we have to stand up and go, listen, there's a problem. There's a, there's a hopelessness around us that nobody wants to talk about. We don't want to acknowledge it and be real about it. And the thought of, of, of one of you, one of these people, you might represent one of these numbers. And, and that you would be hopeless and, and that no one would know that. That you would keep that to yourself. That, it just, it breaks my heart. I believe no one should walk through hopelessness alone. You just shouldn't do it. Because you are loved. And the arrival of Jesus is a statement from God himself saying, I would do anything to be with you. That's what Christmas is about. That's God saying, I'm not God at a distance. I am God face to face with my people. And I would do anything to be with you. And I hope you can receive that today. And one of the things that I was reading this week is all about, well, how do we, what do we do about these things? Well, one of the major things that we do as a church is we try to build community. Because uh, the studies are clear that having a clear community, a solid community, a, a faith community, is something that can actually save lives. Think about that. That the existence of a healthy church body and you being a part of it and your friends being a part of it, it can actually save someone's life. But here's the statistic that, that shocked me for 2020 right now during COVID. And it's that in 2020, 48% of previous church attenders have stopped all engagement with their local church. 48%. So we're not just making that number up. That's a Barner Research number that about half... And half of ACF is, is completely disengaged from the local community. And so I wonder if, if you read that, if you, if you think, well, could there be a connection, right? Could, could the lack of community actually lead to more people entering this pit of despair and hopelessness? And I believe that is it's true. It's why throughout the last nine months, we've made it such a big deal to create ways for you to gather and I just want to remind you that gathering is not, not always about you. Maybe it's about the person next to you. Maybe it's about the person that's the neighbor across the street or the coworker. And um, gathering is not all about you, but we believe that, that gathering together, once again, can actually save 
lives, not, not just physically, but, but spiritually. That is, as, as Christians gather together with, with people who are not Christians, that there's this hope that begins to build and people say, that's what I was missing. That's what I wanted. That's exactly what I needed. And so I want you to just start by admitting, if you've lost hope, just would you, would you just admit that to God right now? God, I've, I've just lost hope. And maybe you're like, man, I'm not to the point of taking my life or something, but I, I'm not living a life of wonder anymore. I'm just sort of wandering through this existence. And I just want you to know if you're like, man, am I weird? Am I strange for losing hope? You are not weird and you are not strange at all. Uh, in fact, as we read the scriptures, it's full of people who have lost hope. And in Numbers 11, Moses literally asked to be killed because of the grief that he's walking through. In, in 1 Kings 19, Elijah asked God to take his life from him. In 2 Corinthians 1, Paul says he's so burdened that he didn't want to live anymore. In Psalm 22, David as he's ridiculed, and many of you have dealt with ridicule and attacks lately, he says, God, why have you forsaken me? And even Jesus says this, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. So I want you to know if you've felt hopeless, you're in good company, but don't stay there. You don't have to live in hopelessness. If you have a Bible, open up to Hebrews chapter 10. I want to go to a text here today that speaks specifically to hope and to the things that we just discussed because there is something you can do, okay? So we don't just wait around for hope to fill our hearts. We don't wake up every day and go, well, I hope, uh, I hope for hope, right? We don't hope for hope. Hope is not a course of action, as many have said. We actually want to do something about the lack of hope in our lives and in the lives of our friends and neighbors. So here's Hebrews 10, 23. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So I want to pick this text apart for just a minute because it speaks directly to what you and I can do in the face of a hopeless world. And the first thing that it says is to hold fast. Hold fast. You know, uh, you don't say hold fast to just anybody. What you say hold fast to, who you say hold fast to are, are people who are going to let go, Right? So clearly, the, the, the writer of Hebrews is speaking to a people who are, who are ready to let go of something. And, and the thing he says to hold fast to is the confession of their hope. So, so what do they confess their hope is in? Well, well, it's Jesus. He says, hold fast to the confession of your hope. So, so these people, they're being tempted to walk away from Jesus being their hope. And, and in this culture is to walk back into the Old Testament law and say, no, our hope is in following the law. Our hope is in following the rules. Our hope is in our religion. And the writer of Hebrews is like, religion was never enough. It could never save you. All religion ever did, all the law ever did is reveal to you how much you need a savior. That's why it's there. And so as they wandered back to this, he's like, no, 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 hold fast to the, to the confession of our hope. Now, now when he says confession, well, uh, when I think about that, I think uh, of people who confess one thing 
but actually believe another. So essentially he's saying, put your money where your mouth is. Stop singing these words to Jesus and saying, oh yeah, no, I'm a Jesus follower. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a Christian. Sure, I'm a Christian. You say that. You confess that he's your hope, but you're not holding fast to him. Like he is not the one that you worship. He's not the one that you, 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 you stand your life upon, right? That you rest upon. No, no, he's not. It's something else. And that's why you've lost hope. He's saying, no, hold fast to the confession of your hope. So once again, it begs the question, what is your hope in? And is that thing worthy of your life? Is it going to hold up through all the struggles that you're going through? You know, some of you lost hope because um, life didn't go as planned. Certainly the last year hasn't gone as planned, but maybe for you, as you look at your life, you're like, man, uh, my kids haven't worked out as planned. My marriage hasn't worked out as planned. Maybe you just got out of high school or college and it didn't go as you had planned. You're not at the stage of life that you wanted to be in. And so you have lost some hope, right? Because to some degree, you're like, well, God, you didn't come through for me. In fact, a while back, um, our worship leader, Mason, he came to me and he was like, hey, I got this song and I'm wondering if we should sing this song as a church and it's called King of My Heart. And I was like, well, what is it about the song that you're concerned about? And he said, well, there's this, this bridge of the song and it says this, it says, you're never gonna let me down. And he's like, should we sing that? Should we not? And I was like, no, I think we should sing that, but, but certainly the concern was there's, there's some misunderstandings when it comes to God letting us down, right? I mean, we've all, we all to some degree have been let down by God before, right? Because he didn't do what we wanted him to do. And I just want you to know, if you want God to fit in your box, he's going to let you down. If you want God to follow your plans and your dreams, he's going to let you down, but if you're counting on God to redeem this broken world and accept you into his kingdom as a chosen son or daughter, not by your works, but by his good grace, he will never let you down. That's what we believe is that Jesus never lets us down, not because he, he doesn't break our plans once in a while or change some of the plans that we've had, but because he is faithful to the things that he promises. You can, you can take that to the bank right now. And I hope that gives you a little bit of hope. God doesn't play by our rules, but he is willing and, and always gracious to redeem what's been lost and broken when we humbly come before him. And the text goes on and he says, he says, consider how to stir one another up. And, and when I read that, I thought there's a lot of stirring up that people are doing right now. Stir in the pot, Right. Uh, the media, their whole goal is to stir you up, right? The best way to stir people up is to, to tell them things that are, that are divisive, right? And, and, and stir up fear in people's hearts. And so there's a lot of stirring of, of people. But he says, stir one another up toward love and good works. Stir one another up towards love and good works. And I love that he connects the word love with good works because good works are the outpouring of a true and honest internal love. Like, like when you have actual love, it, it flows out of your life in good works, right? I mean, it's not difficult to do things for people you love. I mean, think about that. 
Uh, when you were first uh, maybe dating your, uh, your wife, right? When you guys were just kind of spending time together, did anybody have to tell you to bring her flowers or to spend some time with her or bring her a little, little present? Of course not, because you, you had love, right? I mean, maybe it's your children if you have kids. and I mean, nobody has to tell you typically like, hey, your kids need food. They need clothing. They need to be cared for. Why? Because you love them. And so out of love for our children, we naturally flow with, with, with good works. We serve them. We, we care for them. And so the writer of Hebrews is like, hey, church, church that's lost your hope, what you need to do is hold fast to what you confess to be true. Like, like take it to the bank. Make it the thing that your life stands on. Make Jesus the confession of your hope, the one that drives your entire life and then he says, hey, spend some time thinking and considering how to, how to stir one another up toward love and good works. Now, this is really difficult right now. I'll be honest. This season that we find ourselves in has led to so much consumerism. Uh, to such a sense that we have no responsibility for one another. Why? Because we're scared. And when we're scared, what do we do? We take care of ourselves. And what happens is, when we only care for ourselves, you know what happens? You lose hope. There really isn't a more hopeless life than a life that's focused on me. A life that's focused internally. And so um, here you are. You're, you're watching online somewhere. I don't know what you're doing. I hope you're not driving. I hope you're not, uh, you know, trying to make it through downtown traffic right now. But maybe you're sitting somewhere with a family. Maybe you're in an ACF outpost Maybe it's weeks later and you're watching this on our website uh, on demand. I don't know what you're doing, but right now there's a, there's a screen between you and I. I'm, I'm like totally breaking the fourth wall here. Right? Like there's a screen between you and I. And this screen actually creates a barrier to engagement, a barrier to movement. It's what it does. And so I was thinking through this this week. There are two very clear mindsets I see when it comes to watching church online. And the first I would call this the reality TV mindset. And this, is, this goes something like this. Um, this looks like reality. I see the guy on the screen. Um, but it's actually just TV and doesn't affect my real life. This is the reality TV mindset of online church community. Like, like I see you, Brian. I'm hearing you. But I'm not going to do any of the things that you're, that you're talking about. I'm not actually going to engage myself with anything, right? The reality TV mindset. It looks real, but we all know that it's not real. That's what reality TV is. I hate to break that to you. It's just not real. If you thought reality TV was real, right? So, so the screen is it's this barrier to action, a barrier to engagement, right? The reality TV mindset, it's kind of like this. If, if we were in a room together and I said, hey, everybody, let's pick up some chairs. What would happen is that a few of you would move, then a few more of you would move. And for, I, I know it, like everybody would pick up the chairs. We used to do this when we were a little church and we had to use this room for lots of different things almost on a weekly basis. Hey, everybody pick up the chairs and everybody does it. But imagine I said right now, again, screen between you and I, hey, uh, w- would you guys come to church after watching this video and pick up some chairs? <laughs> Let's be honest, the engagement may go down. There may be a few less of you involved willing to drive across town because there's this reality TV mindset. Here's the other mindset. I would call it this, the Zoom call with mom mindset. I didn't know what else to call it, so that's what I called it. Uh, this is reality. And if I don't act, who will? That's the, 
So many of you have been on Zoom with family members and, and uh, you know, they're trying to like figure out how to do it and maybe mom isn't so good at technology. And so you're walking her through how to, how to make it happen. And then she's talking about her life, right? And, and you're on a Zoom call with mom. And so this is like, it's your mom. It's, it's real life. It's a, it's a family member. And, and imagine if on the call, you know, or she calls you at some point. She's like, honey, um, I drove the car into the ditch. I'm on the side of the road. Uh, can you find a way to help? Would you just hang up the call and just say like, hey, who wants pizza? Let's just go do something. Else. Of course not, right? Because you love your mom and you're going to go get the toe strap and get the pickup and haul her out of the ditch. Why? Because there's, there's this sense that it's real, right? This feeling of, hey, that's my mom. And if I don't do something, who's going to do something? Listen, the future of the church, the future of ACF church, really rests upon us as a people taking this Zoom call with mom mindset and saying, if I don't act, who will? If I don't take ownership of the family of God and the the movement of God and the things that God is asking the church to do right now in 2020, who's going to do it? So the question is, which one are you? The writer of Hebrews says, hey, hold fast to the confession of your hope, stirring one another up, toward love and good works. Love that results in action. And then he says this, the, the text keeps going, and this has been one of the most divisive texts through COVID-19 when it comes to the local church. He says, and not neglecting to meet together. Not neglecting to meet together. Th- this word uh, neglecting is, is the word abandonment. And I don't know if you thought about it that way, but when we neglect meeting with our spiritual family, it's like abandonment. And, and some of you, I mean, that's a, that's a heavy word because you were abandoned. And you think back to maybe your childhood and you're like, yeah, I had a dad and, um, and he just, he left. Or I had a mom and, and mom just left. So I know what it's like to be abandoned. And so this is the, the intensity of the language that the author is using in this text. He says, don't neglect, don't abandon your friends. Don't abandon the community that you're around, right? And now to meet together, I mean, what does that look like, right? What does it mean for you to do that? So here's a question. Are you doing everything that you can Everything that you can do to meet together. It's a question for you because the text is saying you have to do this. You need to do this. And this is not a law because this is not just something to to do, to to have something to do. This is something that's for you. This is something that's for me. If there's ever something the Bible tells you to do, it's always for your betterment, for the betterment of your brothers and your sisters. And so are you doing everything you can to meet together right now? Well, well, what does he mean to meet together? Well, he's talking to the local church. He's talking about being the church. Well, the, the word church is the word ekklesia. And in the scriptures, that's the word that's used in the Greek. And it simply means a gathering of Christians. They get together. And they don't get together just for anything. They get together for, for three specific things. Here they are to worship together, to, to grow together, to serve together. So, so this is really focused gathering, right? This is really what it means to do church. And so he's saying, hey, you have lost hope. So don't neglect meeting together as so many have gotten into the habit of doing. 
And not just to meet together to, to have a drink or to, to watch a movie, but to meet together with purpose, to worship together, grow together, to, to serve together, all of these things. And, and I'll tell you right now, there are so many misconceptions because of, of COVID-19 and because of maybe our, our church background or lack of a church background, there are a lot of misconceptions about what it means to meet together right now. And I've heard a lot of statements. And so I'm going to meddle right now because that's what I'm supposed to do as a pastor is, is meddle a little bit. So here's some statements. If you've said this, I'm not calling anybody individually out, but I'll tell you what, if you've said it and you're convicted, why don't you go with that? So uh, just whatever is God saying to you, but maybe you've said this, I can do church on my own. This statement reflects a complete misunderstanding of what the church is. So the church is a body, a family, a community. So when we're doing church, the gathering of the saints, by definition, it's a gathering. So what that means is you cannot do church in your car. You can learn in your car watching this video. You can, you can actually uh, be discipled to a certain degree uh, in your car just watching a video. But if you're not uh, in life-on-life relationships with other people and gathering together to, to worship, to grow, and to serve, I just want to tell you, you are not doing church, right? That's not what it means to be part of the body. It's like saying, I'm going to cut off my hand and put it in the trunk of my car, and, but it's still part of my body. Like, it's not. It's not part of the body until it's connected. Here's another one that is a big deal right now. It's too unsafe to be with people. Now, legitimately, some of you are in a high-risk category. My parents are a little older, and I'll tell you what, I don't want them to get COVID. So I'm telling them, hey, wear your mask. Be careful. But once again, are you doing everything that you can do to be part of the community? To gather with others? To, to, to honor what's being told to us here in Hebrews Chapter 10, I'll tell you this. Uh, most people have what I would call like a bubble, right? A safety bubble. You got people you go on a walk with, people that you spend time with during the week, people that uh, you're probably having over for Thanksgiving dinner. There might be some of that going on out there. And I would say this, if you're meeting together for non-spiritual reasons, then you can probably meet together for spiritual reasons. It's probably something that you can do to get together with people. So you just have to be honest with yourself and go, hey, oh, it's just too, too unsafe. I'm not going to do the church thing. Well, what could you do? Here's one uh, that I've heard a lot lately. I just can't do screens right now. Can you do Netflix? Because I sure can. And so let's be real. If you're like Brian, I'm getting ready to tune off this sermon. Uh, listen, uh, you can do screens. What we're really saying, this again, this is, this is speaking to our hearts right now. We're not sick of screens. We're just sick of content that we're not interested in. It's really what we're saying. So I wonder what this looks like for you to lean in and, and to move beyond maybe what you've ever done before. And I just promise you this. Listen, COVID-19 is providing an incredible opportunity for you to actually walk into a secure and firm hope in Jesus, to make sure that, man, maybe you didn't even know it, but you were worshiping other things. And that's why your hope is, has been up and it's down and up, it's up and it's down. But, but again, what we worship determines the level of our hope. And if we're lacking hope right now, we have to get down to the root of this and realize that maybe we're not worshiping Jesus. So that's the invitation today to, to bring Jesus into the center and forefront of your life. I believe through all of this, God is 
really giving the church a gift. Like I'll tell you, this as a pastor, I really think this, that Sunday morning Christianity is going away. Um, And by Sunday morning Christianity, I, I mean just people who maybe had a habit of going to church, but were never really part of it. I think right now there's, it takes way too much work to, to cross that fourth wall, right? To break the fourth wall and say, I'm going to engage. Why? Because if I don't, who will? That's a big step, right? And, and when you start taking that step, what you start to see is, man, I, I must actually believe in this stuff. Maybe, maybe Jesus is real in my life, right? I want to make a difference in the life of somebody who has lost hope. I don't want to abandon people in the time of their greatest need, which I'll tell you what, is right now. Don't abandon community. Don't neglect community right now. Take a step forward. Gather with people. Find a way to do this. I want to close out in Luke chapter 2. There were these people. um, They're called shepherds. And the shepherds were literally professional wanderers. And I would say that most of them had probably lost a sense of hope. Um, nobody woke up uh, at some point in their life and said, you know what I want to be someday? I want to be a, a shepherd. Shepherds were considered unclean and, and normally not even allowed into the city. And Yet God chooses to meet these shepherds where they are. It says this, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it, listen to this, wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. So these guys, they go from a place of relative hopelessness, wandering through life to a place of worship, glorifying and praising God. And as they did, everybody around them began to wonder. So let's be that type of people, church. Let's be the type of people that have such an uncommon hope in a time of hopelessness that your friends begin to wonder, that your neighbors begin to wonder, that that our community begins to wonder, where do I find that kind of hope? And so if that's you today, maybe that uh, you're the kind of person that you're like, I've lost hope. And, and maybe you've realized that you haven't been worshiping Jesus and that's why you've uh, honestly lost hope. I just want to give you a chance to receive him into your heart right now. So would you pray with me? Jesus, would you show us what we worship? Father, we want to acknowledge the parts of our life that um, maybe we've not yet given to you and acknowledge that, that maybe there's something in, in, in my life that I've held back from you. And, and because that's what I worship, I, I can't truly experience hope. But God, we believe this today that what we worship determines the level of our hope. And God, we need more hope. We need to wonder in a time of wandering. So God, I, I just want to accept your love here in a fresh and, and new way today. God, I want to believe more than ever that the future is bright for those who are in Christ Jesus. Grant us your hope and God, make us the kind of people that stir one another up toward love and and good works in our community. God, make us a people who break the fourth wall, the kind of people that go make a difference. God, help us to bring hope to Alaska and to the world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.
Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, we hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with Him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.